This is the Practical Teaching Tips Podcast. I am your host, Richard James Rogers, high school science and chemistry teacher and author of the award-winning book, The Quick Guide to Classroom Management. Hello everybody and welcome to today's episode of the Practical Teaching Tips podcast. I am your host Richard James Rogers. Check out my blog for teachers which contains hundreds of free articles covering a wide range of teaching topics at richardjamesrogers.com. I look back at my life spanning now 38 years and I think about what it has taken to get me to this stage in life. Now, I am by no means a um, high-achieving individual. I wouldn't consider myself to be an expert, really, in anything, although I would consider myself to be a half-decent teacher. And I've made some good choices in life, and I've done okay. I've done okay in life. But I look back and I think everything could have gone horribly wrong, had it not been for some key moments in my life where I made big progress. And essentially, the reason that I made progress at certain points in my life was because I had received feedback that was very specific and was given to me in a timely manner. Now, sometimes I would give myself feedback on how I'd done and then improve myself. But oftentimes, especially when I was younger and I was growing up, I would receive feedback from teachers, from instructors, from coaches, from mentors in the army cadet force, for example, or at school. And I think it's interesting when I look back on my childhood and probably many of you listening to this can can relate in that I can only really remember certain moments of my high schooling very vividly. And usually those are moments where I've had a one-to-one conversation with a teacher who cared enough to give me proper feedback. I remember weirdly, for example, sitting in science class and uh, my teacher talking me through a question about forces and motion in physics and about a rocket flying through the air and interestingly now as a science teacher myself I sometimes find myself giving the exact same feedback I received that day when I was 14 years old. So the main message I want to get through to people today is that really it's our feedback as teachers that drives students to succeed. But what is feedback anyway? If I could come up with a description of feedback, what is it? Well, this is totally my description that I've made up now, but it's based on my experience and a lot of, I guess, thinking about it and conceptualizing it through my books and my blog And I see feedback as showing students where they are now and where they need to go in a way that is empowering to them. 
So I'll say that again, showing students where they are now and where they need to go in a way that is empowering to them. Now it's really that last part in a way that's empowering to our students that's probably the most challenging. So how do we make our feedback empowering to our students? And sometimes I realize this is further compounded by the fact that there are students we teach who don't want to succeed or it would seem that they don't want to succeed. Actually, most of our students do want to succeed, although they might not um, seem as though they do on the surface. So how do we make our feedback empowering to our students? What can we do to generate drive and enthusiasm and motivation? Motivation's not really the word I'm looking for, but drive, long-term motivation, I guess. Because motivation is short-lived. You know, we can be motivated for 30 minutes and then procrastinate for an hour and a half. So motivation is short-lived. But with effective feedback, we can really generate drive in our students. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, and this is something that I find a challenge, even today, after all my years of experience, and that is provide the feedback in a timely manner. Don't leave it too long. Now, I know that we're busy, especially now as I record this, as we're going through a global pandemic. We are busy as teachers, and it can be difficult to get that timely, quick feedback to our students. But our feedback is always most effective when it is given shortly after the student has done the task or has done the work or done the assessment, whatever it might be. What I've found to be one of the best ways to provide timely feedback is by doing something called live marking. Now, if you've been following my podcast for a while, you'll have heard me mention live marking a few times before. Live marking is basically when, as a teacher, you mark the student's work in real time in front of the student or with the student. So how does that work mechanically or logistically? Well, there's two ways to do it. My favorite way is to set the students on a task and invite the students one at a time to come to your desk to, um, so that you can look through their work. Now, of course, this is only going to work best with a class that's compliant and that's actually focused. If you've got a class where there's a lot of low-level disruption, it might work better to walk around the class with a colored pen in your hand and mark the student's work as you're walking around the class. So in real time, right there in the moment. It's very important that students are able to remember what you've said to them. And I think the best way to do that is to get students to actually write down what you've said. So a great example would be if I'd called a student to my desk to look at their work they've just done or look at a previous homework, for example, or if they're just um, if I'm just looking at their books to mark them in my regular two-week cycle, whatever it might be, and I give the students some feedback. Let's say 
I like how this diagram is large and clear, but do remember to use a ruler next time and label every part. Now that's something I've just said to the student. Now if I just send the student back to their desk and not follow up on that, the student is likely to forget what I've told them. So what I ask my students to do is to actually write down in their books or on their work, Mr. Rogers said. Now, of course, you're going to use your name as a teacher, but I would ask the student to write down what I've said. And then, of course, I'm going to check that at some point in the future to make sure the student has written down what I've said. And if you try this, you'll find that it's a very interesting exercise because there will be many students, actually, who will forget what you've just said to them one minute earlier. And they will ask you again, uh, could you please remind me what you said? What did you say? Could you say it again, please? And by repeating it and getting the student to write it down, the student has to remember what you've said, process what you've said, and articulate that in written form. And by doing that, we're getting our students to think about what we've said. And as Daniel T. Willingham said in his famous book, Why Students Don't Like School, a quote I use all the time, memory is the residue of thought. So let's get our students to think about the feedback we are giving. There are other ways in which we can use feedback as a motivational force to drive students to succeed. But essentially, we have to avoid where possible chastising students. We have to avoid where possible telling students off, I guess. Now, there's nothing wrong with being disappointed. Sometimes that's necessary. And sometimes as teachers, we are disappointed at student work. But it's important that we allow students the opportunity to redeem themselves because there's no point giving a sanction or even having a bad mood, I guess, with a student if there isn't a positive outcome that's going to be generated from that. So let's think of an example. Well, I had um, a group of gentlemen a few years ago now who I'd set them on a task during class. And at the end of the lesson, I asked to see their work because I'd noticed they'd been chatting a few times during class and even after I'd prompted them to to focus on their work and ask them how their work was coming on, I got the kind of feeling they hadn't done that much and I invited them, all three of them, to sit um, next to my desk at the end of class when all the students had left. It was break time so it was easy, I wasn't um, taking those boys away from their next lesson and I asked to see their work and it was diabolical. I mean, they'd written maybe one or two sentences when I expected a page and a half of work, for example. So I literally just sat there silent and in disbelief, I guess. And I was genuinely disappointed. And I said, is this really all you've done, this lesson? And the boys just looked at me. They could tell. They could tell that I was disappointed. And they said sorry, they were genuine. And I said, well, how are we going to move forward, boys? Because this work has got to be finished. And they came up with the solution. They said, okay, we'll hand it in tomorrow. And they brought it in tomorrow. 
So we've, we've always got to allow our students to redeem themselves. And also, another thing that's worth mentioning, if those boys did not like me as a person, then that technique I've just described to you would not have been effective. Now, what do I mean by like me as a person? I mean that I've built up a professional relationship with my students. In other words, I've generated a rapport with them. Now, rapport building, I think, is a topic for probably another episode. But essentially, it comes from having a genuine care and concern for our students and allowing them to redeem themselves, knowing their strengths and weaknesses, taking an interest in them, I guess, taking a genuine interest in the whole lives of our students. And when you're consistently doing that, when you're not just focused on yourself as a teacher, you're not just focused on the problems you have, but you are actually focused on the students' problems and taking an interest in them, striking up conversations on the corridor as you're walking around, remembering things that have happened in the students' lives, all these kind of things, using professional intelligence, which is when you gather information about students and you, you use that to reinforce a student's character. So, for example, if two months ago a student did a great piece of chemistry work, Two months later, I might see that student and say, how's things going? Um, I remember that amazing piece of work you submitted um, about shapes of molecules. It was so good. Um, so that tells me that you are a dedicated, committed student, and I, I think that's admirable. You know, little conversations like that, you would be amazed at the profound, life-changing effects that those conversations can have on students. So it's very important to build up rapport with students, to have a professional relationship with your students, and then to leverage that in the process of providing effective feedback. That's very important. So make our feedback timely. Make it specific. One-on-one -on -one conversations are great. Live marking is very effective. It also saves you time so you don't have to mark things or mark as much after school or on weekends or on holidays, which I used to do a lot of when I was a newly qualified teacher, too much. What else? Well, peer assessment and self-assessment and automated assessment all have a role to play in teaching these days. So that's PSA. Remember, public service announcement. Peer assessment, self-assessment, automated assessment. Let's look at the last one first, because that's the one that's not really articulated enough in the teaching profession. What is automated assessment? Well, this is basically when you get software to mark the student's work um, in real time, very quickly, in front of the students, and it saves you time in the marking process as a teacher. So how do we achieve, or how do we carry out automated assessment? Well, there are a range of different software applications available for different subjects that have automated testing, automated, automatically assessed questions built within them. So ones that I can think of off the top of my head, for example, are MyMaths for mathematics, Educake for science and geography, and I believe they've got an English version now, 
Lexia Learning for English. Um, and there are also some general um, applications that can be applied to all subjects. Definitely check out Kahoot.com if you haven't already. That's K-A-H-O-O-T.com. That's basically a multiple choice quiz system, but it's brilliant. Kids love using it and it's totally free. And you can um, you can discover or search for Kahoot's that other teachers have made, and it's all open source material, so check that out, it's really cool. Um, you can also set these cahoots as homeworks as well, and again, they're automatically assessed, so you don't have to mark them. And you get a generated report at the end which tells you how each student has done. Very powerful software. Quizlet is very good. Um, that's Q-U-I-Z-L-E-T. Quizlet.com, very, very powerful again. Um, be careful with Quizlet, though. Make sure you always check, and with Kahoot as well, just check that the questions and the sentences and the words are all professional, that they're spelled correctly, that they've been made properly. Um, you can make Kahoots yourself. You can make Quizlets yourself. But to be totally honest with you, I find that I rarely need to do that because a lot of the topics I'm teaching have been covered by other teachers in Kahoots and Quizlets already, and I can just search for those and use those. So it's very good software. It's it's really the epitome of of sharing good resources, and it's it's so good we live in this age where we can use this kind of educational technology. If you're using Quizlet, try Quizlet Live. It's very exciting. Basically what that is, um, it's when... The students are put into groups automatically by the software, so you, you don't have to worry about um, getting students to choose their own groups, for example, and the problems with that. And basically, the students use their devices to answer multiple choice questions in groups. And there's music that goes along with it, and it's like a big competition between groups, and it's very active, it's very fun. And again... As a teacher, you get um, data that tells you how each group has done. And if you do the, qui the um, Quizlet Live two or three times in a row, you start to see patterns of which groups are achieving very well. And it's usually because of a few high-flying students that are influencing the scores. So very interesting. So I guess the message really is that feedback nowadays does not need to be lengthy written comments on student work. And for any school or district or local educational authority or governing body or whatever that is pushing their, their teachers to write lengthy comments on work, I say to you that you are being very tyrannical in your approach and you're not really up with the times. You're not being very modern, and you're actually causing more harm than good that way. Um, teachers should not be spending oodles and oodles of their free time writing lengthy comments on student work. That is an inefficient use of time. Because what often happens is that students will read the comments. I don't, I don't accept that students don't read the comments. I don't accept that. I think that all students actually do read the comments that teachers write. But 
It's whether or not they use that information and they improve their work later or they process that information. And I would suggest that there are better ways to get students to articulate information, to process information, to think about feedback and to use feedback than writing lengthy comments on work. That is old school thinking and there isn't really a place for it in education anymore, I, I, I believe. So effective feedback, the catalyst of student progress, because it is effective feedback that speeds up and catalyzes the progress that students make towards their goals. Another thing to mention about feedback is it has to be regular, so timely and regular. If we're giving students feedback immediately after a homework, for example, but they're only getting a homework once every month, then the regularity of that feedback is not really enough to drive that student forward. So that's important. And also, it's very important to get our students to articulate what they want to see next with their work. So asking our students, how do you think this could be improved? What could you do better next time on your next homework? What could you do better in your next piece of work? Now you might be thinking, oh, how do I do that? I've got 35 students in a class. Well, there are a number of systems you can use these days. There's Google Forms, for example, where students can fill in um, written responses and it's all collected for you. It's You don't actually have to physically sit with each student and, and talk this through. Now, that's ideal. I mean, if you can do that, that's the best way possible to give feedback to students. And those one-to-one -one conversations are very powerful. And I, I do advocate for that where possible. But if you're teaching loads of students and you've got a heavy timetable, yes, it can be difficult to implement that. But make use of modern technology. Use Google Sheets to collect feedback. Use Google Forms to ask students to articulate their goals for the next homework or the next, their next piece of work. Um, use the school's VLE system or LMS system, the, um, you know, the Firefly, the Google Classroom, the Moodle, whatever it might be. And really getting students involved in the assessment process wherever possible is always going to be beneficial because getting the students to reflect on their work, articulate targets, and really understand where they've gone wrong and why they've gone wrong is crucial to students building up interest in subjects and also building up passion and also knowing where they want to go in the future, not just in a particular subject, but eventually as this process gets repeated, students get a better idea of which subjects they want to pursue in the future and what they want to do with their lives. And it's powerful. I can't really emphasize enough just how powerful our words are as teachers. I could if I wanted to now, I could describe numerous examples of students I've taught over the years who have had a very positive outcome in life, and I can trace it all the way back to the feedback I've given those students earlier in school, or other teachers have given them, or a team of teachers have given to them. So words are powerful, and feedback is very powerful. So 
let's summarize what we've got so far. Let's summarize effective feedback. Well, effective feedback should be timely. Let's give that feedback as quickly as we can. But don't, um, don't, don't, what's the word I'm looking for? Don't skimp on quality. Don't reduce the quality of the feedback to, um, make the feedback quick. If you need to take a bit longer to give more quality feedback, that's always the better option. But where possible, give feedback quickly. Make sure it's detailed, high quality feedback. And use a variety of feedback methods. Peer assessment, self-assessment, automated assessment, PSA. Remember those three things. And also, Try doing live marking. In fact, I would say do live marking as much as possible. Walking around the class with a pen in hand, marking the work as the students are doing it, providing verbal feedback. And don't listen to what people like Ross Morrison McGill say. You know, this guy and, you know, Dylan William and all these people who are in their ivory towers at these big university departments who are not in the classrooms every day actually doing this stuff. Um, you know, these people say that verbal feedback is really good and it's it's um, very effective, etc. Well, that's nice. But what they don't tell you is that students have to actually remember the feedback they've been given if it's ever to be effective. And verbal feedback might be enough in the immediate instant that the student is re receiving that feedback, but it is not enough to maintain long-term memory of what has been said. So you've got to get the students to write down what you've said to them. Somehow, they have to articulate what you've said. Maybe by writing down, um, my teacher said this, Mr. Rogers said this, whatever it might be. So use that powerful technique of live marking coupled with powerful verbal feedback. Make use of technology. Use Google Forms, use Google Sheets. Use Google Slides, use Google Sites, whatever it might be, to get the students to articulate targets, to review their work, to write down what they think they've done well in their work. Maybe create a rubric or some kind of form the students can fill in every time they do a particular piece of work. And it doesn't have to be every week or every lesson. You might want to cycle that through every two weeks. Getting students to reflect is so important. And we don't do it enough in the teaching profession. And by the way, we don't just have to get students to reflect on individual pieces of work. Let's do holistic reflections with our students more often. So a great um, strategy I like to use with my older students in particular is I get them to do a learning journals system. So um, every week, sometimes every two weeks, depending on the class, they will give me a special notebook. Uh, sometimes it's a Google Doc or a Google Sheets or something like that or a, a Google Slides, but they'll give me a journal on a regular basis. And in that journal, they're writing down what they have learned over the past two weeks or over the past week and what they've enjoyed and what they're looking forward to next. And that kind of holistic reflection, when we get our students to do that regularly, it's reinforcing the knowledge they've learned in class. And it's also building up a mentality that the student is responsible for their own success. And that's so crucial these days. We live in a culture now 
where unfortunately, um, particularly in countries like the UK and the United States, maybe not so much internationally, but certainly in, um, in many countries now, we live in a culture where when students don't succeed, parents, stakeholders, um, senior managers, uh, line managers are too quick to point the finger at the teacher. And that, I would suggest, is the wrong approach always because the finger should always be pointed, if that's the right um, analogy, although, of course, I don't advocate for actually pointing fingers, but the responsibility has to lie on the shoulders of the students. So it's very important that we teach our students to take ownership of their own learning And that is actually a crucial life skill, more so now than ever before. Because guess what? When those students leave school, I don't care what field they're going to go into. I don't care if they're going to be working in a factory, if they're going to be, um, you know, sweeping the streets, if they're going to be um, working in IT, if they're going to be doctors, lawyers, whatever students are going to be doing when they leave school these days, at some point in the future, they're going to have to learn a new skill and they're going to have to learn something academically because that's the world we live in now. Everyone has to skill up during their lives. So our students must leave school knowing how to teach themselves. They have to leave school knowing that they and they alone are responsible for their own learning and therefore, by default, responsible for their own lives. And one of the ways we can do that is by getting our students to reflect regularly on what they've learned, what they've enjoyed, and what they will do next and what they're looking forward to next and how they can improve. So very, very crucial. So thank you, everybody. I really hope that today's episode has reinforced the notion that effective feedback is the catalyst of student progress. And I hope I've given you some good strategies today that you can use immediately in the classroom or at least some ideas that you can start thinking about and planning around so that one day soon you can implement some of these strategies yourself. I promise that they work. It'll take time in some cases. It'll take patience. Keep trying. Deploy these strategies and you will see an increase in progress, an increase in attainment, an increase in love for the subject. And you'll even build a better rapport with your students because one of the ways that we can build a relationship, a professional relationship with our students is through effective feedback. So thank you so much, everybody. Um, Check out my blog for teachers one more time. That's richardjamesrogers.com. Hundreds of free articles on there for teachers covering all aspects of teaching. Check out my award-winning book for teachers. I know I keep saying it. I'm quite proud of it, I guess. It's called The Quick Guide to Classroom Management, 45 Secrets that All High School Teachers Need to Know, and that's available everywhere. Um, There's a link to that book in this episode description. And um, if you like these podcast episodes, why not share with someone? Because All of this is free. I don't intend to charge for this stuff. I just want to share the stuff that works because 
Think about this. If even one or two teachers use these tips, imagine the number of students' lives that are going to be changed by this, you know. The number of students who are going to benefit from this information being um, implemented by teachers. I mean, that's really the driving force and the, the, um, the why behind me doing all of these episodes. So thank you very much, everybody. Stay safe, stay healthy, take care, and bye-bye for now. Until next time.